Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to the very first episode of the third season of The Last Symptom Podcast. My name is Brian Barnett. I really appreciate you tuning in. How's everybody doing? Are you taking care of yourself? In the context of emotional health, what it means is putting yourself first. That sort of seems selfish, don't it? Putting yourself first. Well, it might seem that way, especially if you have an emotional disorder. You see, the foundation of your emotional disorder is the firm but hidden certainty that you don't have inherent value. Think about the effect that this underlying certainty has on you in the way that you perceive people and the priorities in your life. First, if you don't have inherent value, then it would seem out of place to put your needs before somebody else's needs. Maybe they deserve to have their needs met more than you do. Also, do you know what a person naturally does when he or she does not live with the knowledge that he or she has inherent value? This type of person naturally lives in a way to compensate for his or her lack of value or lives in a way to earn value. How might you see this manifest? When you neglect your own needs to take care of somebody else's needs first, is there not a sense of unsung glory in that? An unhealthy person might think, I don't deserve this. But by being more attentive to other people's needs, I am compensating for my lack of worth by doing something good and earning some worth for myself. Let me ask you, can something that is inherent be earned? I thought it might be useful for all of you to know how I personally make myself my number one priority in practical ways in my everyday life. Then you'll know what this realistically looks like day to day. And you'll have a model to follow in your own circumstances. Also, we're going to talk more about inherent worth or inherent value, which will be our primary focus for today. 
I'm going to share some personal details of my story, as well as an experience I once had that I often think back on, which reveals to me how far I've come since the days when I had borderline personality disorder, just how skewed my own perceptions on this subject of worth used to be. It's important for me to try to share these things with you in a way that really illustrates the point, so that maybe, maybe, you will see how your own perceptions are equally distorted, which will then give you an opportunity to straighten these misperceptions out gradually, but also my objective is to be your North Star. If you see the tremendous hurdles in perception that I have overcome and no longer live with, then you know that you can do this too. Before we get into the meat and taters of today's conversation, I want to again mention that this is a, the very first episode of the third season of The Last Symptom audio show or podcast, whatever word and floats your boat. Maybe you're curious about any changes I have in mind for this season. Well, relax. I have no plans to change anything drastically. Back uh, at the beginning of season two, some of you will remember that I changed the introduction music. You know that music that opens the show that you hear at the beginning? When I did that a year ago, I immediately lost a thousand listeners. <laughs> I ain't kidding. I lost a thousand listeners just for changing the opening music. So the lesson there is that folks like consistency, and you know what? I understand and appreciate that myself. Still, my hope is that most people listen to the show for the insights, not for the music. At any rate, over the course of the second season, I gradually went back to the old original tune. That tune, by the way, is a Brian Barnett original. I created it specifically for the Last Symptom podcast way back at its beginning. For this third season, I had new opening music in mind that uh, would have been a whistling tune, reminiscent of the old Andy Griffith show music. But since I'm interested in getting my information out to as many people as possible, I reckon it just won't do to go losing another thousand listeners. So for all of you who are comfortable with the current music, it looks like you have no changes to worry about anytime soon. Some folks have asked me about a segment that I began to close the show out with in season two, which I called the encouraging finale. They've noticed that I've slowly stopped doing it, and they wondered why. They also wondered if I had done away with it for forever. The answer is that the encouraging finale will pop back up from time to time. Now, you won't hear every single show end with an encouraging finale, but when I have a good one in mind and I've got time to do it, then I will include it. I personally love the idea of the encouraging finale, because we often talk about some very heavy things here. It's nice to end on a lighter note, and so that was always my intentions with the encouraging finales, a way to bring us back up from sadness or heaviness and leave things on a funny, positive, or reflective note. 
Anyway, here we are, season three. I can't believe it. Can't believe we're going into our third year. I have every intention to make this year the best and most informative. Still, I just ask you to remember that I'm not a radio jockey. I'm not a radio creative. I'm not a producer. I'm not an anything. I'm just a regular guy. Some episodes will be better than others. And I also have a life happening, you know, in between episodes, just like you do. And sometimes my mind is working better or worse, depending on what's going on around me. But I will do my best within my imperfect human limitations to make this season a very good one. Of course, one thing you'll continue to have the pleasure of hearing me mention all the time is my website, thelastsymptom.com. That is my website full of free resources, and I hope you and everybody you mention it to will go make use of those free resources that I provide. For those who are only interested in an experience that is fully at no cost to them, I understand and I respect this. For most of my life, I've gone to great lengths to avoid paying for anything whatsoever on the Internet. If I can search a little harder and read the same article at no cost to myself, then that's what I typically would do. Frankly, much of this had to do with the fact that I was destitute. I couldn't have paid for anything like that even if I'd wanted to. To do so would have been to choose between buying a loaf of bread or having access to the stuff on the Internet. And believe me, I'm choosing the loaf of bread every time. So nowadays... I am sympathetic and understanding toward anybody who is in that difficult situation that I was once in. You know, recovery involves aspects of dignity and self-worth, and being in a hard financial situation powerfully complicates escaping these delusions of worthlessness, especially the older you are, because you think, it is unacceptable that I'm dealing with these sorts of undignified failures in my life at this age. Well, friends, those of you who are struggling with these sorts of thoughts and feelings and life circumstances, you just hang in there and know that your circumstances are not a reflection of your worth. One of these days, I hope I will have fine-tuned my teaching style so effectively that you will have taken that information and have convinced yourself of those truths. How have I managed to continue doing this work for over three years now? Well, I say this with no exaggeration whatsoever. I have only been able to operate the last symptom until now because of the money that comes to me. Where does the money come from? It comes from thelastsymptom.com in the form of donations, paid appointments with me, and now the Last Symptom Fundamentals live and online course that I offer from time to time. So if you are somebody who wants to support The Last Symptom and to continue seeing it grow, consider running over to thelastsymptom.com. You can make a one-time donation to my work, or you can set up a recurring donation. I'm very grateful to those of you who have already been supporting The Last Symptom in this way. And I'm very grateful to any of you who are considering doing it now. If you would like to schedule a one-on-one -on -one phone conversation with me, you can do this at thelastsymptom.com.
If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one private Zoom video appointment with me, you can do that at thelastsymptom.com. If you would like to sponsor a call for somebody experiencing financial difficulty, you can do that at thelastsymptom.com. And very soon, I will be offering The Last Symptom Fundamentals 40-hour course in a pre-recorded format at a discounted price from the live and online version of the course, and it will be available through thelastsymptom.com. As you can see, things are not slowing down. I have more on my agenda than ever before, and it is only because of the financial support that those who value the last symptom provide that I'm able to follow through on many of these things. Just remember that I'm still a one-man show, so I'm constantly juggling many, many responsibilities while at the same time trying to make headway on the things that seem most timely and can provide ongoing support to other aspects of the last symptom. Well, here we are. We've arrived at the main topics for discussion today. Making yourself your priority and inherent value or worth. And for that second discussion, I like to put it under the title, You Are Not a Car. You're going to see why. But first of all, how do I, in my personal life, make sure that I am my own greatest priority? And what does this look like? Well, recently I hosted a two-week intensive course on recovery from emotional disorders. I call it the Last Symptom Fundamentals live and online course. In fact, if you want to listen to the very last episode of season two, you get to hear the class, the class participants, uh, speak about that experience for themselves. Because that class was designed specifically for folks in the United States' western time zone, this meant that for me, every evening for two weeks, class would not start until 9 p.m., and it would not end until 1 a.m. in the morning. This was every evening for two weeks straight, but there's more. Every evening after class, I stayed online with those who wanted to spend after-class time with me and let their hair down. Some nights, I saw the sun rise outside my window before I finally made it to bed. The Last Symptom Fundamentals course takes a lot out of me and yet I love doing it. For this particular class, I had 15 enrolled participants from different parts of the USA, Australia, India, England, and Nigeria, Africa. The maximum number of participants I typically allow into this course is 12, and that's because I want to be able to give each participant my full attention during two weeks' time. So for this particular class, there was such a strong interest that I made some allowances, and the number of participants rose to 15. The very nature of this intensive course requires me to empathize strongly with people who are themselves dealing with much pain and confusion. In order for me to be able to empathize, I have to put myself in their shoes, imagine myself in their situations, And I have to tap back into my own memories of similar feelings and experiences that I myself dealt with that were like theirs. 
Do you think this is tiring? Oh, yeah. It is very tiring. It literally depletes me of all energy. We shed tears together, the participants of that class and I. Often, when relating some personal story from my own life, the feelings well up and I cry. I remember when I was a kid and I was being emotionally abused by my dad and mom. Often I would break down into tears and cry real tears of inner agony and frustration. And afterwards, what I remember is that although I felt better for having to let myself cry, my energy was always depleted. I would sometimes be so depleted as far as my energy goes that I could literally fall asleep standing up if I were to just lean against a tree. That's how exhausting all of it was. When my dad would go on his emotional disorder rampages and take out all of his unhappiness with himself on me, I would eventually get away to myself and wonder what was wrong with me, what was so broken about me, that I would have to experience such emotional torment I would punch myself in the face out of self-loathing, and I would cry until my legs wouldn't hold me up anymore. And because I never weighed more than 160 pounds soaking wet in, in my youth, this is really saying something, that my legs couldn't hold me up. That's just how much energy was going into those negative, painful, or sad emotions. Often, I'd fall asleep right on the bare ground in the woods, or when my dad would finally let up on his emotional abuse, I'd fall asleep right in whatever spot he left me. My point here is that emotion, feelings, are energy. Have you ever thought about that before? Your emotions, in addition to being information, as I've explained often, they are also energy. As human beings, dealing with our natural limitations, we only have so much of it. That is, we can only accumulate and store so much energy. When it runs out, it's out. There's no operating beyond your stored energy. This is simply one of those human condition aspects of life that you're going to have to get comfortable with sooner or later. There's no operating beyond our real limits. Have you heard of a thing called uh, white line fever? White line fever. It's a phenomenon that long-haul truck drivers talk about, where you basically you get hypnotized by the white painted line on the road. Well, there's all sorts of phenomena like this when you are terribly sleepy but trying to push on. In my 20s, I would often take these long road trips and drive all through the night. And one thing that I have experienced many times is road phantoms. Do you know what those are? Road phantoms. This is when your body is so tired, you are so exhausted and at the very end of your energy reserves that you start to fall asleep while driving. And so this is when your subconscious or unconscious brain in a last-ditch attempt to protect you and wake you up, makes you suddenly see an animal in the road right out in front of you. So your body floods with adrenaline. You grab the steering wheel and jerk to avoid the animal. But then you realize 
there never was any animal. It was just a phantom that your brain created to wake you up. That's, that's a real thing. And it works. Your body's now flooded with adrenaline from this manufactured scare. Of course, if this ever happens to you, it means you should have pulled over a long time ago and taken a nap instead of continuing to drive. But I just, I just weren't that smart when I was in my 20s. What are the main points I've made with these stories in the interest of explaining how I make myself my first priority? Well, number one, as human beings, we have real limits. Number two, emotions are energy expenditure. Three, that great amounts of energy expenditure leave us depleted. And this is what happened recently after my last Symptom Fundamentals course. I was left pretty much depleted. Now, there were still a million things I felt like I needed to do. I wanted to sit down and create an episode of the Last Symptom podcast last week, for example. I had emails to reply to and people to check in on. I had certain things I wanted to do for the Last Symptom group. But making myself my number one priority and being conscious of my real limits as a person, I decided I would not worry about answering emails or text messages. I would skip a week with the podcast I would not do anything that required too much energy or attention on the fishing group. Instead, I put the phone away. I put away the laptop. I spent the week relaxing. I watched some movies. I read some things I'd been wanting to read. I scheduled a Zoom meeting with a couple of my buddies, and we talked about anything but work. Gradually, I felt my energy levels coming back up and my ability to do the last symptom work enjoyably returning. Does it mean that I don't care about the people who sent me emails that I have put off replying to them? Not at all. In fact, I care about them enough that I want them to get the best of me. In order for them to get the best of me, what do I have to do? I have to pay attention to my needs and take my responsibility for caring for my needs seriously. In my everyday life, I often have many people reaching out for some of my time, which I consider a real honor and a joy. But I never put their needs above my own needs. I pay attention to what my body is telling me. When I need a break... I give myself that. Everything and everybody else will just have to wait. Not because I don't care, but because I do care. Now, I'm not going to repeat the overused illustration here today about putting on your own oxygen mask in an airplane before you help somebody else put theirs on. Well, I guess I just did repeat it. But it is really important that we all recognize the wisdom in putting our own physical, mental, and emotional needs first, even if you have children. How are you in a position to properly, emphasis here on properly, care for your children's emotional needs if you yourself aren't emotionally healthy yourself and if your own emotional needs aren't being met? How are you going to care for somebody else's mental needs 
if you yourself are insane? How are you going to see to it that somebody else's physical needs are met if you are dragging yourself around on two broken legs? See, the way we best provide for other people is when we first provide for ourselves. This is what making ourselves a priority means. If I'm lost in the wilderness with a person who is injured, and I give that person all of our water to drink, what good am I going to be in helping her continue to survive and make it out alive if I'm dead from thirst? No good whatsoever. I have to first take some water for myself, then give water to the other person. This ensures that I am now at least a little more able to carry the person along on my shoulder or build a shelter or a fire or any number of other things that both I and the other person needs. So making ourselves a priority means, number one, being attentive to what our bodies are telling us about our physical, mental, and emotional needs. Two, stopping everything and giving ourselves what we need. Number three, even if we have to put off other people's needs or wants in order to do this. Remember, the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority properly explains that as adults, we only have inherent rights, responsibility, and authority over we, ourselves, as individuals. So think about that. You live with inherent responsibilities to yourself. What is one of those inherent responsibilities? Well, it's providing for your physical, mental, and emotional needs appropriately. And to do so appropriately means making them your priority. They have to come first. I love my daughter to death, but if I haven't slept all night and I desperately need a nap... While at the same time my daughter is begging me to take her to the park, guess what my priority is? My priority is my nap. I listen to my body. I pay attention to what it is telling me that it needs, and I give it that. Does this mean that my daughter isn't important to me or that I don't care about whether she gets to go to the park or not? Not at all. It simply means I am listening to what my body says, giving myself that, so that when I do turn my attention to my daughter, I'm able to give her the best of me. If you haven't been in the habit of making your own needs a priority, it may take some practice on, on your part to first even being able to hear what your body is trying to tell you. Until now, maybe your body's been screaming things at you, but you just haven't really been paying attention. So it's worth practicing listening to your body, your thoughts, your emotions. Try to catch it early when your body is trying to tell you what it needs. Then practice putting what other people want and need second in favor of giving yourself what you need first. This is not selfish. It is wise. It's not selfish because doing things in this way is not only best for you, but ultimately, it's best for others as well. And incidentally, there's balance and harmony in this. 
because we healthfully expect nothing less of other people. We hope they also are taking their responsibilities to themselves seriously and making their own needs a priority, just as we are doing in our lives. One last thing I did for myself after expending so much energy for the two-week Last Symptom Fundamentals course was that I went on a backpacking trip in the mountains. Nothing brings me back to life quite like getting out into the woods for four or five days. Getting intimate with nature is very rejuvenating for me. It may seem a little counterintuitive because you know, I'm out there hiking 10 miles and more per day, carrying 25 pounds of gear on my back, and then I have all this work to do to set up each night's camp. It's all very physically demanding work, and yet it rejuvenates me. So that was another way I made my needs my priority. I closed down my schedule for five days. I accepted no appointments, no phone calls, no emails, no nothing. And I went into the woods where I had no access to internet or phone or anything. Several years ago, and when I say several, I mean about 10, <laughs> I was walking around Scottsdale, Arizona, talking to a guy who was trying to help me understand how some of my perceptions about life were slightly skewed, distorted. In fact, I can tell you precisely where he and I were walking in Scottsdale. We were walking around the grounds of Scottsdale Stadium Baseball Park. This is where Major League Baseball team, the San Francisco Giants, go to play baseball during spring training. As we were walking and talking, I began to complain about some of the other people I was in this intensive program with that I was there for. Specifically, I began to complain about a woman who earlier that day had been talking about how she is learning to love herself, how much she is learning to value herself, and how it doesn't matter what other people think. You see, the problem I had with this is that the woman was very fat. She also did not seem to care very much about how her hair looked or about the clothes she wore. That day, as she had sat there talking about her worth and about how much she was trying to love herself and all these things, I found myself actually feeling a little bit nauseous and angry at her. So while walking around the ballpark, I expressed this to the guy that I was walking there with. And I expected him to be in agreement with me. You know, the woman should stop shoving endless amounts of food into her face, do something better with her hair, stop showing up to places in frumpy clothes, and then maybe all this talk about trying to love herself and valuing herself would make more sense. At least, this is the way I was honestly thinking at that time. In other words, do something to earn yourself some value, and then all this talk about your value won't make me roll my eyes. Well, as you might suspect, the person who was trying to help me, let's call him Tom, just for the heck of it. Tom did not express any agreement with my thinking at all. 
He did not confirm that my thoughts on the subject were sensible. Instead, he asked me, Brian, are you suggesting that she has to be skinny to have worth? Well, at that, realizing that I might have said something wrong, I felt ashamed suddenly, and I tried to backtrack. No, no, I said. That, that's not what I mean. I just mean that what is going to motivate her to improve herself if she loves herself so much the way she is? Tom pursed his lips and sort of shook his head to himself. He tried his best to explain to me the concept of inherent worth and to help me see what it was that I was missing, but I was just not capable at that time in my recovery of really getting it. Do you know that although I was ashamed, I wasn't sure what I had said that was wrong, but I really was suggesting that day that this woman did not have much value because she was fat. Is that not terrible? It's terrible that I once walked around truly believing this and similar things, but without realizing or admitting to myself that this was my true perspective on things. You know, it's almost like I knew it wouldn't go over well with people. I knew it wouldn't go over well with people, but I... It's what I truly believed anyway. The nausea I was feeling was coming from the distaste of imagining this fat woman as somebody with great worth when she clearly wasn't doing anything for herself to quote-unquote earn the worth that she was talking about. Well, I realized that many of you listening may be struggling to understand the nuances of everything in this story, just as I struggled to truly grasp how my own thinking was so distorted that day, ten years ago. Do you know what I wasn't grasping that day and that I now grasp perfectly well? It's this concept of human value being an inherent quality. And do you remember... What I said at the beginning of today's show, nothing can take away what is inherent, nor can anything supply what is inherent. Such value does not depend on anything at all. Now, here's the trouble most of you are dealing with in understanding the inherent worth that all human beings live with. You and I live in a world where the value of almost everything around us can be influenced by external factors. For example, do you know that if I go out and buy a brand new car right now, the instant I drive it off the lot, its value can depreciate as much as 10% in the first month. If I buy a $40,000 car and I drive it home, and I just park it there. I don't even drive it. Its value after one month will no longer be $40,000. It will be about $36,000. Ain't that crazy? What if there's a hailstorm and the hail falls and leaves a hundred tiny dents, little pockmarks, all over the hood of my car? 
Now, how much is my car worth? Thousands of dollars less, right? Do you see how the value of the car depends, there's that word again, depends on things to make it have value? Is this true for people? No, it is not. But let's consider a couple more examples. Let's say that you and I want to buy a house. So we're looking around and we see a house that has a tree that has fallen over in a, in a storm and has crashed through its roof. Would we see much value in a house like that? Or how about a house that is all burned up? So basically it's all blackened and the roof is caved in. The windows are all broken. Do you think that you and I would be willing to pay $300,000 for a house like that? Well, obviously not, unless, unless it's sitting on top of an oil reserve. <laughs> but do you see that even in that case, the house depends on something like an oil reserve underneath of it in order for it to have any value to us? A house's worth is not inherent to the house. A house's value as a house is dependent on things. A car's value as a car is not inherent to the car. The car has to look a certain way, drive a certain way, be considered new and unowned in order for its value to be what it is. And that value, by the way, is not constant. It will fluctuate and change as it ages, as it drives so many miles, as things on it break or are replaced. Is that true for people? Does your worth as a person fluctuate depending on different factors? How much you weigh? your age, what your hair looks like today. How about if you have your leg amputated and now you have to use a prosthetic leg, like the car? Is your value as a person now less because you've had to have something replaced? Your value as a person does not fluctuate because your value as a human being is an inherent aspect of being a human being. Because of this inherent nature of the value we exist with, your value as a person cannot depend on anything at all. Take note of this. Your value as a person does not even depend on you ever recognizing that it is there. It just is there. If you have trouble wrapping your head around that one, think about this. Is the coldness of ice dependent on anybody first recognizing and accepting that it is cold? Not at all. It just is cold. Whether you or I or anybody at all ever realizes this or accepts it or not. Now, let's say that you get fired from your job. The company you work for decides that you simply aren't what they want in an employee. Nobody there likes you very much, including your boss. 
And so one day the boss calls you into his office and he says, you know, you're just worthless around here. You're fired. Pack up your stuff and, and get out of here and don't ever come back. Is this not a reflection of your value or worth? Well, yes, it is. But it's only a reflection of your value as an employee for that particular company. It is not a reflection of your value as a person. Do you see the distinction there? Nothing can add to or take away from your inherent worth as a person. Your value as an employee and your value as a person are not one and the same thing. Let's say that you're a mother that neglects her children. You don't ever take care of them. You don't treat them very well. You use all your money to buy yourself cigarettes and beer rather than buying your kids clothes. Is this not a reflection of your value as a person? It is a reflection on your value as a mother, but not a reflection on your value as a person. Your value as a mother and your inherent value as a person are not one and the same thing. Some of you may struggle with that example since it involves a touchy subject. But remember, inherent worth or inherent value cannot be added to or taken away, not even by the lousy things some people do. Why is that? It's because a discussion about the things people do and a discussion about what people are are two entirely different discussions. What I do is not the same as what I am. It's like life, you know. You, do you understand how valuable life is? You might also struggle with this concept because, you see, you and I are surrounded by life everywhere we look, aren't we? How many bugs, how many bugs' lives get snuffed out, hitting car windshields around the world every day? Millions, probably. We also live in a world where the more abundant something is, the less value it typically has, right? So, for example, the Mona Lisa is worth millions and millions of dollars because there's only one. But if Leonardo da Vinci had painted 12,000 Mona Lisa paintings, all of them indistinguishable from the others, would a Mona Lisa painting still be valued at millions and millions of dollars? Back in 1992, at the height of comic book popularity, DC Comics ran a storyline that culminated in the death of none other than Superman, the most famous superhero in the world. Fans rushed out and bought as many copies of the Death of Superman issue that they could get their hands on, myself included. Believing that it was going to be worth a million dollars someday. Well, a few years ago, I said to myself, why am I still hanging on to this? It's worthless. After almost 30 years, that issue of the Superman comic book is only worth about $20 today. How can this be? What explains that? Well, you see... DC Comics printed so many copies of The Death of Superman that the comic book market was flooded with copies. Today, anybody who wants a copy of that special issue 
has no trouble finding one. They are readily available, and there is no shortage of them at all. In our commercial and business world, it is rarity that makes things valuable, right? But does the nature of feelings, self, and life operate on the same principles and laws as the commercial and business world? Not at all. So although we are surrounded every day by such overwhelming numbers and variety of life, life is extremely valuable. The abundance of it around us does not in any way affect its tremendous value. How much is your life worth? Well, it's priceless. It's absolutely priceless. Without life, what else matters? Not the Mona Lisa, not the colors of sunsets, not the beauty of music, nothing. Who can give life? Not you or I, not the most brilliant scientists in the world. Now, we can become fathers and mothers to children, but we can't provide the life inside of them. That is something beyond our power. And when a life runs out, we ourselves can do nothing to prevent it. Steve Jobs, one of the richest men in the world, could ultimately do nothing to extend his life. Do you think he would not have given up every nickel and dime that he owned for just 10 more years of life? Of course he would have. What good is all the money in the world if you are dead. Now here's where things get interesting. You are not only a life, which is invaluable, literally priceless, but you are in an extremely special category of life. You are conscious life. Do you understand what this means? It means that unlike animals, you are aware that you are alive. You are able to reflect on the past and contemplate the future. You are able to ruminate deeply on complex ideas. Do you know that despite what you may have been led to believe through movies and other types of media, there is not an animal anywhere of any kind that can come anywhere close to doing these things that you perhaps take for granted because it just seems so normal and common to you. I mentioned this in another episode of this show that dealt with inherent worth, but I'll mention it again here. In a book about language and linguistics that I was reading called The Power of Babel, A Natural History of Language, the author, John McWhorter, an atheist, says this, Bees can tell other bees where honey is located by a butt-waggling dance. Chimpanzees and other apes can be trained to use a rudimentary kind of sign language. Parrots have been trained to match words to concepts. Some animals have specific cries, warning their comrades against predators. We have all seen how dogs can learn to recognize a dozen or so words. However, human language is unique in its ability to communicate or convey an open-ended volume of concepts. We are not limited to talking about exactly where honey is. 
to warning each other that something is coming to try to eat us, or to matching civilization to 50-odd basic concepts pertaining to our immediate surroundings and usually focusing on bananas and desire. Neither bees, chimps, parrots, nor dogs could produce or perceive of a sentence such as, did you know that there are squid 50 feet and longer in the deep sea? They've only been seen as corpses washed up on the beaches. Because animals can only communicate about either things in the immediate environment or a small set of things genetically programmed, they could not tell each other about corpses even if they had seen plenty. Then there is the specificity for which human language is designed. No animal could specify that the squid have been seen in the past rather than being seen right now, nor could they communicate the concept of knowing in did you know. Not only are no animals even remotely capable of communication on this level, but none even approximate it. There are no animals that could even pull off once I met a huge animal, or the concept of washed up on, or even the concept of once in the sense of one instance in the past. There is a vast gulf in complexity, subtlety, and flexibility between human beings and other animals. So that is from the book, The Power of Babel, A Natural History of Language by John McWhorter. Note that he is not saying that animals are simply incapable of communicating these things. He's saying the reason they are incapable of communicating such things is because they are completely incapable of even conceiving of these things in their minds. Remember what I said. You listening to me talk right now are conscious life. Just being a life meant that you had great inherent value already, remember? Because life itself is extremely valuable, even though it's all around us. But now we have refined this even further, and we have now realized that you are conscious life, the most precious kind of life of all. You're in the most special, rarest, highest valued category of life. This subject of inherent worth is greatly related to an understanding about the differences between capacity and ability. How so? Well, do you remember that in the past we talked about how I may not have the ability to play the fiddle, but I do have the capacity to play the fiddle. Although I can't play the fiddle because I don't know how and I've never learned, I do possess the capacity for it. If at any time I truly wanted to play the fiddle, I could begin learning, and eventually I would gain that ability. What are some other things that you and I as people may lack the ability for, but that we still have the capacity for? Well, you and I have the capacity, the in other words, the inherent possibility exists within us to, to do something great for humankind one day. We have the capacity to save somebody's life one day. We have the capacity to write poetry. 
we also have the capacity to read poetry and reflect deeply on its meaning and symbolism. We have the capacity to produce children and each of them living with the same endless capacities themselves to affect and influence the world. We have the capacity for self-improvement. We have the capacity to invent something new. We have the capacity to share something we've learned with others that might completely change the trajectory of their lives. We have the capacity to form profound friendships, the capacity for authentic love, authentic empathy. We have the capacity to determine the direction of our lives and the type of lives we want to live. We have the capacity to determine the legacies that we will leave behind. We have the capacity to have profound realizations and to share them with others. We have the capacity to truly appreciate beauty and to share that appreciation with others. We have the capacity to have an intimate relationship with God. These capacities, these inherent possibilities that exist within all people, are endless. We could never go over all of them here today. Remember that it is not whether we ever do any of these things that is important. What is most important is that we possess these capacities at all. Just take the pianos, just one example. What is more beautiful than a person playing the piano masterfully? Now, I cannot play the piano very well. I play it by ear for my own pleasure, but I can't read music, and I don't understand music theory, and I can't play the piano with any elegance or complexity. But do I have the capacity for these things? Yes, I do, as do you also. Do you see how amazing that is? The inherent possibility exists within you and I to play the piano if we ever want to put the work into learning. For a chimpanzee, the possibility does not even exist within him, not at all. Whether we ever do put in the work into it and learn how to do it is utterly besides the point. The mere fact that we possess the capacity for it, that it is a possibility within us, that is what is truly amazing and remarkable. There is nothing else on this planet that possesses that seemingly simple capacity. Only you and I as people, and only you and I as people possess the capacity to even appreciate the music that comes out of a piano. Think of that. Your inherent value as a person, which is simply an inseparable part of being a human being, is tightly tied into the very nature of what being a human being means the capacities that are interwoven into the very nature of what you are. All of these endless and remarkable possibilities that exist that no other creature or life form on earth is capable of, even in the slightest bit. Your inherent worth is not dependent on you doing any of these things. Your worth is born from the fact that these rare and valuable possibilities exist within you at all, that they are there for you to access and put into use at any time of your choosing. Your capacities as a human being make you inherently, tremendously valuable.
The fact that you are alive makes you tremendously valuable. The simple fact that you are conscious and aware is so extremely unique and valuable. Do you know what a Swiss Army knife is? Well, I've always carried one in my pocket throughout my entire life. Which Swiss Army knife do you suppose costs more? The one that has only two tools built into it? Or the one that has 20 tools built into it? Which one am I going to have to pay more money for? Well, obviously, it's the Swiss Army knife that has 20 tools built into it. Why do you reckon that one will cost me more than the one that only has two blades? The Swiss Army knife that has 20 tools built into it offers me what? It offers me greater possibilities. Because the possibilities that it offers me are greater and more numerous. The knife is more valuable. Does it matter if I only ever want to use just one blade and not take advantage of any of the other tools? No, because the value of the knife is not based on whether I ever take advantage of all of the possibilities it offers. Its value is based on the fact that the knife makes those possibilities available to me at all. Your value as a person is like that. It doesn't matter if you ever create a cure for cancer. It's that people, you, me, your neighbor down the road, we as people possess the capacity for searching for a cure at all. We possess the capacity for studying cancer at all. We possess the capacity for understanding what cancer is at all. No other creatures out there possess the capacity for any of these things, not even close. So forget about playing a piano. How about simply tuning a piano? Do you understand that there is not a creature on the face of the earth that is so much as capable of even tuning a piano or even capable of understanding the concept of what tuning a piano is or why it is done, much less turn around and then play music on it, or for that matter, even fully appreciate the music that somebody else plays on it. You possess the capacity for all these things, though. If at any time you wanted to learn how to tune pianos, you could do it. That possibility exists within you. There is no other creature alive that this is true for. It is our capacities, not our abilities, that help create the conditions for our inherent worth. Now, think about how your perceptions and your thinking are affected when you look at yourself and you see yourself and the way your value is measured as a person as being in the same category as something as unimportant as a car. A car loses value the instant you drive it off the lot. Its paint job has to be perfect. It can go out of style. If people decide that particular type of car ain't appealing anymore, they may stop getting made completely. Think about how up until now, your understanding of your worth as a human being has been powerfully decided by this same sort of understanding about value. You have been measuring your value by improperly using a completely non-applicable, irrelevant model that applies to unimportant things like cars, 
cell phones, and silly collectibles. You are not a car. You are not a hairbrush. You are not a cell phone that will be outdated in two years and forgotten about. You are not a rug or a wristwatch. Do you know how much the first Apple Watch was worth when it was first released? A lot. Do you know how many people are running around trying to get their hands on the first version Apple Watch today? Not very many. It's clunky, outdated, and it has been superseded by watches that are a hundred times slicker. You are not an Apple Watch. You are a person. You are a human being. You take for granted all that this means because there are now about eight billion of us on this planet. But remember, when speaking of human value, abundance does not have any effect on it whatsoever. Remember, that formula only applies to hairbrushes, cars, and Mona Lisas. It does not apply to people. Also, because your value is an inherent aspect of what you are, unlike cars, hairbrushes, and Apple wristwatches, your value is not determined by anything like age, whether or not your parts are all working correctly, how shiny and new you are, or how many similar beings to you there are. You are a person, a human being. You are not a car. Now consider for a moment how an inaccurate perception on this subject naturally affects you. Because you've been walking around categorizing your worth the same as you would categorize the worth of a car, you see your value as a person being able to fluctuate. Yes, you see it as fluctuating depending on how your hair looks on a certain day on whether or not you have a zit on the end of your nose, on whether you have a career that other people envy, on how much money you have in your bank account, on the type of shoes you're wearing, on how much positive attention you can generate from others or not generate from others. Have you thought about that? A car that the majority of people think is ugly is a worthless car for all intents and purposes. If nobody likes that car, then as a car, it is pretty much without value. But you are not a car. Remember, a car's value is not an inherent aspect of the car. Why do we know that it's not an inherent aspect of the car? Because the value of the car depends on things in order to exist. If the value of the car depends on things in order to exist, this is the exact opposite of what it means for value to be an inherent quality. When something is an inherent quality, remember, it is an inseparable aspect of whatever thing it is inherent to. In other words, an inherent quality is not something that depends on anything whatsoever because the thing itself is generating that quality. So while a car depends on people desiring it in order for it to have its value, you are not a car. Your value is inherent to you, remember? 
What this means is that it doesn't matter if nobody on this earth ever values you or not. What other people think is not where your worth comes from. That applies to cars, not people. Your worth can't be given to you, and it can't be taken away because it is an inherent reality that is inseparable from what you are. Not a car, but a person, a human being. Can a car be moved to tears when reading about some injustice in the news? No, it cannot. Only human beings can experience that. Only human beings can first fully understand the nature of the injustice and then be moved to experience empathy. The smartest ape in the world does not possess this capacity, but you do, because you are not a chimp, and you are certainly not a car. So we've talked about how this erroneous concept of your worth has been affecting how you look at and perceive yourself. How do you reckon it affects the way you look at other people? Well, let's go back to uh, Scottsdale Baseball Park all those years ago. And there I am. I'm walking around with Tom. Tom is trying to explain to me that the fat woman I have just insulted has just as much value as me as a person. And I'm not understanding how that can be true. Why can't I understand how it can be true? Because she does not seem to be taking as much care of herself physically as I am. You see, I'm exercising. I'm watching my diet. I'm taking time to comb my hair in the morning and make sure to present myself to others in the best possible way. And, and I don't see her doing any of these things, so her value has to be less, right? Wrong. That poor woman is not, and never was, a car. She is a person, a human being. Her value does not come from how much she weighs or how much time she spends on her hair, or even from what idiots like myself back then think of her. Her value is not dependent on anything at all. Her value comes from being a human being, period. There's one other profoundly distorted thing I remember thinking as Tom was trying to convince me that this woman's worth was the same as all other people. I specifically remember saying to Tom, well, but if she views herself as just as valuable as everybody else, how is she ever going to be motivated to improve herself? Uh, being fat's not healthy. And if she's walking around thinking that she has just as much value as anybody else, where is she going to find any motivation to lose weight and fix her hair and, and all these other things? Do you see where I was coming from? I was thinking that this woman valuing herself as a person seeing herself as equal with all other people, was inappropriately permissive. That it was allowing her to be okay with things about herself that I judged were not okay. Oh boy, just how off the mark, how deviated my perceptions about things were back then. Do you see why it's uh, so important to identify these things within ourselves, root them out and correct them? It's because they affect all of our perceptions about feeling self and life. They affect the way we view the nature of not just ourselves, but also that of our fellow human beings. 
if the woman shared, if that woman, the, the heavy woman, if she shared my sick perception on the nature of what being a person is all about, and let's say she did go on to lose 60 pounds, what would have been her motivation for losing the 60 pounds? Well, if she shared my distorted view of life, her motivation would have been that her worth as a person depends on being skinny. So even if she had lost the weight, would it have been for healthy reasons? No, not at all. She would be living with the completely false notion that her value as a person depends on what she looks like. And how would she then have looked out and viewed other people? That their worth also depends on what they look like or what kind of shoes they're wearing or how straight their noses are. Do you see how even though she might now be physically a little healthier, she would be experiencing a far worse form of unhealth, profound emotional unhealth. She wouldn't even be able to truly enjoy being skinny. And why not? Because when your value as a person depends on external things, it is never-ending and exhausting. It fluctuates. Your sense of value goes up and down. It doesn't stop at how skinny you are, you see. Now your attention turns to whether your eyes look the way you want them to look or how terrible you think your voice sounds. Or one morning you wake up and you have a big pimple on the end of your nose. And do you know what that means for your sense of value for that day? You have none until the zit clears up. By contrast, what sort of emotional health do people get to enjoy when they realize and fully accept that their value as a person is inherent? Does it fluctuate? No, it absolutely does not. It is consistent every day, all day, every week, all week, all year long. Pimples come and go. Body weight rises and falls. Hair comes and goes. We go from young to middle-aged to old, and through it all, we enjoy the stability of knowing that none of these things have any effect on our value as people. When healthy people are motivated to go on a diet or begin to exercise, what is motivating them? Is it that they can't enjoy a sense of worth unless they get their bodies to look a certain way? No. Their motivation comes from genuinely liking and valuing themselves. Because of this, they want to take care of themselves and see themselves be healthy. But fat or skinny, they live with the stabilizing, comforting knowledge that their values people remains constant and unchanged. When healthy people look out at other people of all shapes, sizes, ages, races, and social status, do you know what judgments they make about them? None, except for this one. Nobody is superior to me, and nobody is inferior to me. Another way to say it is this. I'm not less than anybody else, and I'm not better than anybody else. In contrast with the person who believes people are cars, can you imagine now the effect this healthy, accurate perception toward life naturally has on the way you go on to view others, how you treat yourself, as well as how you expect others to treat you? 
often think about that woman back in Scottsdale, Arizona. And I regret very much that I ever viewed her in such a disrespectful, dehumanizing way. And you know, because these were the erroneous perceptions I used to live with for all my life up until my late 30s, that woman was not the only one I inappropriately viewed this way. There naturally would have been thousands of people I applied these same sick perceptions toward, myself included. It is astonishing to me that I lived for so long looking at people and their value as people as if they were something as insignificant and petty as cars. Do you think we would see as many people exhibiting such disgraceful behavior towards other people today if more people understood the things we've talked about? No, I would think not. When your perception about the nature of human beings is sickly distorted, such as mine was, this powerfully and inappropriately affects what you consider as acceptable behavior towards others, as well as gives you an improper perspective about your value in comparison to others. And remember, it constantly fluctuates. It's in constant fluctuation. If you gain 100 pounds and go bald, suddenly you perceive others as superior to you. If you work out hard and gain a six-pack and go tanning, suddenly others are inferior to you. This is false. It's unhealthy. And many of the injustices and repugnant behavior you observe in the world today are a direct result of this type of unhealthy understanding about life. Get in the habit Anytime you begin to feel bad about yourself, which is just another way of saying that you feel your sense of value fluctuating, get in the habit of telling yourself, I am not a car. I am a person. A car may have less value if it is dirty and hasn't had an oil change, but I am not a car. I am a person. My value is inherent to me. It is constant. My value as a person is the same that I had yesterday when I was dressed like a king, even today that I am dressed in sweatpants and eating nachos off my lap. Get in the habit anytime you catch yourself being critical of somebody else of saying to yourself, he or she is not a car. He or she is a person. His or her value as a person does not depend on anything at all, much less my opinion. Get in the habit, anytime you begin to feel insecure at a party, of reminding yourself, nobody is superior to me, and nobody is inferior to me. I'm not less than anybody else, and I'm not better than anybody else, but neither are they. And why? Because as people, we are all walking around with equal inherent value. My friends, thank you for joining me today on this special episode of The Last Symptom as we kick off the third season. I'm very pleased you were able to spend some time with me, and I look forward to doing this again next Thursday. Let me give you a friendly reminder about TheLastSymptom.com, which we mentioned earlier in the program. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so with a donation at TheLastSymptom.com. You can sponsor a call for somebody in financial difficulty there. Or you can schedule either a phone conversation or a Zoom video call with me from there. 
All these things help the last symptom continue to operate and grow, and I thank you genuinely. Be good to yourself this weekend and make sure to do something nice for yourself. I would do something nice for anybody I really like and care about, and you should too. That person is yourself. So do something nice for yourself. This is Brian Barnett signing off for now. As always, thanks for listening. (music) 